I'm reading from Luke uh, 19, 28 through 40, in the New Living Translation. After telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road road had started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. He replied, If they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Mark. Interpretive dance will follow the service. (laughs) Seven days changed the world. These next seven days have been the topic of uh, many books, many sermons, countless debates, many movies. These next seven days have inspired the greatest painters, the most skilled architects, and the most gifted musicians. Uh, There's no way we could begin to measure the impact of these next seven days, Palm Sunday through to Easter Sunday. So many millions and millions of people have been transformed because of the events of these days. And perhaps this week you want to start reading uh, the, uh, the last uh, of each of the Gospels. You can almost follow the sequence of each of the days. Tomorrow, Monday, he entered into Jerusalem and overthrew the tables where they were buying and selling in the temple. Tuesday, he taught in parables and he had a warning against the Pharisees. Wednesday, the fourth day, we know nothing really about what happened on that day. Thursday, often called Maundy Thursday, Jesus celebrated Passover with the disciples. We call it the Last Supper. Friday, we're only too familiar with for the betrayal, the arrest, the beatings, and his death on a cross. Saturday, Jesus lay dead in a tomb bought by a rich man by the name of Joseph. And Sunday... A week from today, the stone was rolled away. Jesus was alive. He appeared to uh, many people confirming that he rose again from the dead. So today is the beginning of Holy Week or Passion Week. In the Eastern Church, they often refer to it as uh, the Great Week, coming out of Great Lent into Great Week. And when you think of it, it is a very great week, although a very difficult week. Uh, So I encourage you to go... Uh, to the uh, each gospel, find Palm Sunday, and then start to read from that place to the end of that particular gospel. I love the story of Palm Sunday. 
the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. It was kind of a strange celebration and that it was a celebration for all the wrong reasons. In the hearts of people who cheered for Jesus uh, really was a cheer for themselves, uh, maybe more than Jesus. They were mostly concerned about their victory over Rome. They wanted him uh, to be their leader so their lives could be better. And I suppose you can't fault them for that. It's just like on Tuesday, we will all go to the election, to to the polls, to vote. And uh, we really are saying, I want this province to be governed the best way it can be possibly governed. So we have a choice. We, we, We look at the situation, we look at the platforms, and we say, based on this, this, and this, and the character of this, this, and this, then we make a decision. And we all have the prerogative to make our own decisions as we understand it. Well, they thought we need somebody who will lead us to victory. And they wanted to have their nation restored. They wanted their their own king to rise up and to push the Romans right out of the country. But it was a strange victory lap for those who watched. It wasn't as they might have expected, but nevertheless they cheered. And they cheered hard. Conquering kings usually rode in chariots pulled by powerful horses and they would have soldiers running alongside the chariots and there would be a mighty display of pageantry and military power. The weapons would be on display. But this is so different. Jesus begins his descent from the Mount of Olives and he's riding on a donkey. But he's setting the stage. Watch how he does it. Please come with me to Luke chapter 18, just the chapter before, and you'll see how Jesus is prepping his men for the week that lies ahead. Luke 18, 31, taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus said, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where all the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. He will be handed over to the Romans and he will be mocked treated shamefully and spit upon. They will flog him with a whip and kill him. But on the third day, he will rise again. But they didn't understand any of this. The significance of his words was hidden from them and they failed to grasp what he was talking about. Isn't that amazing? And you want to say, Jesus, they didn't get it, Lord. They didn't get it. Why didn't they get it? They just seemed oblivious to the events that were about to unfold. And here we are, a week away from the event that will change the world, and the disciples themselves are not connecting all the dots. Nevertheless, there's no turning back. We come to the chapter that was just read, 19, verse 28. Listen to the narrative again. After telling the story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into the village over there, he told them, and as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. Now, why does Jesus need a young donkey, a colt? Of all things, He comes to the last week of his earthly ministry and he needs a colt of a donkey. Well, you know what? The people of Israel had been praying about this day for almost a hundred years. Know why? That's how long they had been under the boot 
of Rome. They hadn't had a king all of these years, not a real king, because the Romans wouldn't let them have a king. I mean, the king was in Rome. He was called the Roman emperor. And the Jews had been languishing under the rule of the Romans for a very long time. They were a puppet state. And then they had been praying for years. They had been begging God to give them back their freedom, to give them back their own king. They had been on their knees saying to God, God, you promised that a new king would come and free his people. They had been pleading with God. They had been reciting from the book of Isaiah, Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4, that the deliverer would stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and that's where he would appear from. And it says in Zechariah 9.9 that he would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. You say, it actually says that in the Bible? 500 years before it actually happened? Yes. Yes. It was the picture in the mind of Zechariah that God gave him this picture 500 years before the, Jesus was born, and he wrote it down. And here's what he wrote. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. 500 years before Christ. Oh, we hit a chord here. These Jewish people know that, that this is the moment, that something is shifting here. And John's account of Palm Sunday says this, John 12, 12, the next day the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. They were feeling it. The time had come. This is a new season. And the Pharisees are feeling it too. Because in verse 19, they're staring at themselves and they're saying, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. Everyone's gone after him. Everybody knows that God has finally sent this new king. Yes, the Lord has need of this little donkey. 500 years before Zechariah was writing about it. And now these people were praying about it. And they were putting two and two together. So something seismic is happening here. And maybe even the disciples would clue in on it. People start throwing their garments out on the road. They're excited. They don't even want the donkey's feet to touch the dirt. A sign of submission, a sign of applause to the king, a sign of a celebration, a sign that Israel would rise again. They're feeling it. There's a story of uh, St. Francis of Assisi. He's on a pilgrimage and he's singing. And someone asks him, where's he going? And he says, I'm going to God. And they ask him, where are you coming from? And he said, I'm coming from God. And why do you sing? And they ask, he said, I sing to keep from losing my way. I keep from losing my way. And that's our picture of Jesus on Palm Sunday. The sun is out. The birds are singing. Children are laughing. Dogs are barking. It's a beautiful day for a parade. And Jesus is happy. He knows where he's coming from. He knows where he's going. And his eyes are fixed on God. And there's a song in his heart. And that's a heartwarming thought. It's Palm Sunday. And it's true that Jesus knows where he's coming from. And it's true. He knows where he's going to. 
But he's not unrealistic because he knows there's going to be a lot of pain in between that. Palm Sunday is finally Jesus coming out of the shadows. This is the big reveal. Remember how he's held off applause until this point? He would always kind of put it down. No more. Now he presents himself to the world as the Messiah. So he needs a little coat, a little coat, the coat of a donkey, to help him step out of the shadows into the limelight of being God's king for the whole world. He needs a a donkey to declare himself. He needs a donkey to honor the ancient prophecies. He needs a donkey to fulfill these prophecies to the very last minute detail. And he has all the bases covered, even if his disciples are still slow of heart to get it. So they went, and they found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, Why are you untying this colt? And the disciples simply replied, The Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their garments over it for him to ride on. Don't you wonder what was going through the minds of these two disciples uh, when they take that colt, or when they ask for it. Like, we, we could be charged for this. We, we, we could spend a couple of years in prison. The Lord says, if you get questioned, here's the password. Just say the word. The Lord needs it. And they needed that password. So they quoted the password when called upon. The Lord needs it. Okay. Good enough. It's yours. Oh, and Mark's gospel puts it this way. If you get asked what you're doing, just say the Lord needs it and will return it soon. You'll get it back. You'll get it back. You think the Lord prearranged all of this? Some of the commentaries say, yes, he did. Uh, Some of them say, no, he didn't. Uh, What's interesting to me is that the owner of the donkey didn't say, oh, they said somebody would be coming from the company of Jesus. So I guess that's you. Here you are. They didn't say that. So I'm of the opinion that this was a God thing and that Jesus somehow had put it in the heart of this owner to move with the flow of what God was doing. I mean, he just got in step. And he got this password in in his mind the Lord needs it. And I just think the, the Spirit of the Lord uh, went ahead of, of the disciples and prepared the heart of the owner of this colt. He just set it all up. What good news. Here's what I know. When God has a plan and a purpose, nothing can stand in his way. If God says that his kingdom is coming, then it's coming. And it's time for us to join the preparation team. And we need to get ready to throw out the palm branches. We need to get ready to throw out the coats and the sweaters and the shirts to prepare for the coming of the Lord. And at TCC, we need to get ready for the kingdom to come by throwing out our welcome, throwing out our welcome to him in our lives. We need to declare him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We want to be willing to say, I'm following you, Lord. I'm in your parade. It's not about me. It's about you. We need to be willing to say, Lord, you reign, you rule. You be the sovereign in my life. And Lord, TCC is your church. You're welcome here. And you are royally invited 
to lead us and take us with you to the purposes and great plans of the kingdom. We're ready, Lord, to follow you. And friends, we have a community out beyond these walls that needs us. We have a world that needs us. We're shoving over in our own hearts, declaring, Lord, you to be leader. You are the rightful king. Just say, the Lord needs it. It's kind of catchy. The Lord needs it. And I wonder if we can apply that to our own lives. The Lord needs it. And what do you have? What do you have to give? Oh, the Lord needs it. Do you know what an oxymoron is? An oxymoron is when you have two words that really shouldn't go next to each other because they contradict one another. It's an oxymoron, like jumbo shrimp. That's an oxymoron. Jumbo is big, shrimp is small. Uh, maybe there are times when we put those two words together, but, but that's an oxymoron. And the Lord needs it is an oxymoron because you're putting together two words that really don't belong together. The Lord who has everything, the Lord who is creator of all, and right beside that word is the word need. Does the Lord have needs? Psalm 50, 9 and 10, But I do not need, God says, the bulls from your barns or the goats from your pens. For all the animals of the forest are mine, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Anyone still remember that old chorus that we used to sing? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Oh, we used to belt that out. The wealth in every mine. He owns the rivers and the rocks and rills, the sun and stars that shine. It's all his. It all belongs to him. And yet, our Lord has a need. The Lord needs it. Here he is, ready to start the greatest parade in history, and he doesn't have what he needs. He has not lived extravagantly in the world. In fact, he has so humbled himself, he has so emptied himself, that he doesn't even own the donkey he needs. He actually is in need. Can I tell you a little story? When this church was yet a dream in our minds, only 11 people praying and asking God, we met in the fall of 2002, 11 people. We were asking God for the future. We were, we were seeking and asking, did God want to raise up a church called Terwilliger Community Church? And we would meet one Monday evening after another for several months of praying together. And we actually said... You know, it has come to the place where if we're actually serious about starting a church plant, that we really ought to do the practical. We ought to, we ought to really ask ourselves, can we financially support this? Uh, let's start with the obvious and the practical. And everyone was asked to write on a piece of paper the amount that they thought they could contribute to the formation of a new church in the next number of months and maybe a year. And we were asking, really, was it financially viable? And from six families, we wrote down a number that we could contribute. And in minutes, we tabulated it. It was $75,000. That, that began to say to us, maybe this is, on a practical note, maybe this is financially viable. 
And then one day, not too long right after that, I was invited to the home of a, a gentleman who didn't go to any church, but his wife did, and we, we had a great conversation. And when I left, he pressed something into my hand. It was an envelope, but, but sometimes you can give a message to somebody else without words. And he pressed this envelope into my hand as if to say, do I want, do I want you to talk about it? I want you to take this and not say a word about it. it got the, I got the message. It was like, you take that. No, you don't ask any questions. So I left that home and I had to stop a mile down the road because I was so absolutely curious what was in that envelope. And it was a check for $20,000. I said, oh my, only God. And it was a confirmation in my heart that God needed us to surrender ourselves to him and to go, go about the work of planting a church, a new church, which has come to be this exciting church. And I like to think that that $20,000 check has been seed money. I think we have never been lower than $20,000 in our bank account ever since that time. And I, I framed that check in my mind. It was seed money that launched a new start because the Lord had need of it. And we just said yes to it. And now TCC has had the heart to do it again because you have provided the seed money for Southwest to have a start to plant another church. I simply say thank you. And one day, Southwest will plant a church. And I fully expect TCC will plant another daughter church. And another. That's just the kind of church that TCC is. We have a congregation that says we will acknowledge the password. The Lord needs it. Can I ask you a question? What if you were the person who owned that donkey? Would you give it to Jesus so he could ride into the greatest parade in history? I think you would. Especially because you know the story. But what if you didn't know the story? Do you think you'd take a chance on Jesus, even if you didn't know the story, if, even if you didn't know all the details, but you knew about Jesus? Jesus, who is Lord of all and ultimately in need of nothing, has so emptied himself that now he comes to us and he says, I'm riding into Jerusalem to die for you, and I need this. What would you give him if he asked you? What is it that Jesus Christ has been nudging you to make available to him? And you know the nudge. Is it your time? Is it your financial resources? Is it your giftedness? Is it your service? Is it something right here at TCC? Would you like to invest in our youth? Would you like to come alongside of some junior high girls, some senior high girls in our youth ministry? Would you like to say, I'll support the guys in our, in our youth group? That's what I could do. We have a young adult ministry just starting. Maybe you would say, I'd commit to that ministry in prayer. I, I'll stand by that ministry in prayer. Or maybe be a part of it. We're so grateful for the brunch ministry. All of us know how Bob has struggled with his health in these last weeks and months. And yet he soldiers on. 
because he has a passion in his heart. He's been a model to me in saying, yes, Lord, what can I do? How can I help with the need? What do you need, Lord? And if you want to bless him, just say, Bob, how can I, I, can, how can I serve in that ministry? But we can use help in many areas of this ministry. Listen mostly for the nudge of the Spirit. We have 120, 130 children every Sunday in our children's ministry. There's always a need to, feel, uh, to be filled. And God nudges his people to invest in our kids. There's a place for you. And friends, we have a community to reach out beyond these walls. We need people to pray that we will be effective in impacting our community. We need people to pray and to serve. Spring carnival's coming up. Sometimes it's easy to say, oh, the next person will, will pick that up. But we need that physical support as well to make things run very well. And sometimes we, we just kind of don't realize that we're investing in our community. That handshake, that being there, that, that welcome to our community goes a very long ways. What was the password from Jesus? Just say, the Lord needs it. And he says that to you. What will you release to him? Your influence? Maybe your shoulder to the wheel? Is it your worship? Maybe he wants you to release your worship. I can't worship very freely because I have things that I need to deal with and I feel restricted and I need to clear that up so I can worship with freedom. And today he says, will you give me all of you? No holding back. So right now, would you just open your heart to Jesus? And would you say to him, what do you want me to release to you, Lord? What do you need? What do you need from me? Just ask him. And then be quiet in his presence. What do you want from me, Lord? What do you need in my, my life? We won't worry about the next person or anybody else in our family. It's personal. Lord, what do you need from me? Would you listen in prayer now? Let's just bow together. Let's just bow together and say, Lord, what are you, what are you saying to me? What do you need in my life? What do you need from me? If you give him your worship, he'll return it with joy. If you give him your obedience, he'll return it with peace from the Holy Spirit that is just so deeply meaningful and fulfilling. You give him anything he says, and I'll give back to you a hundred times as much in this life and in the life to come. Let's stand together, please. So, Lord, what do you need from me? 
What do you need from us? We give you ourselves. Lord, today we give you our hearts. We give you who we are in the body of Christ. Whether we be ears or eyes or hands or feet or legs or mouth. We give you our worship, Father, because you're worthy. We give you our best this morning. Lord, you you hear those quiet whispers to you this morning from our hearts. Give you our best because you're worthy. Thank you for riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Thank you that you came to die for us. We love you in Jesus' name.